Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Thrive Church, a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. There we are. Hello, everybody. So good to be together. If you're joining us online today, welcome to you as well. So good to be together, virtually and together. There's such a good atmosphere of faith in the building. I walked in this morning, it feels like it's rocking. Really does. And we're in a series at the moment. If you're new with us, a warm welcome to you. We're in a series called Untangling Emotions. And Kulu kicked it off for us two weeks ago. We started the series looking at how to untangle shame, followed it up last week with untangling anger. And today I want to help us together as a community, whether you're online or in the building, we're going to untangle the number one cause the number one cause research is showing for mental health issues today, the number one cause for mental health issues today, we're gonna learn how to untangle fear, how to untangle fear. And when I was thinking about this, when I was preparing uh, for this message today, I had a couple of moments of clarity. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you, you suddenly realize something that you've never seen or heard or thought of before. I suddenly realized I've struggled more with fear than I thought I have. I've had a couple of fears in my life. Any of you ever had a fear of maths? I had a fear of maths. Give me a shout if you've had a fear of maths. I had a fear of maths and I had a recurring nightmare going on in my life. Genuinely, it was a nightmare. I had a recurring nightmare that, that I got to the end of your maths exam and I couldn't figure out the questions I hadn't studied at all. Anybody ever been there? I have a fear of heights. I realized this. I have a fear of heights. Anybody got fear of heights? Give me a shout. Fear of heights. I had a recurring nightmare. Again, this went on for a number of years. I had a recurring nightmare that I was hanging onto the top rung of a ladder, but my palms were getting so sweaty that I was, I was in danger of falling off. Anybody ever had those kinds of recurring nightmares? I had a recurring uh, fear. No other way to describe it. A recurring fear that um, as I got in grade 10, 11, and 12, I had this fear that my dad wouldn't come home from work, that he wouldn't get home safely, that he'd have an accident on the roads. I had that fear for three years, pretty much. I knew where it came from as I, later on I understood it, but in the moment, I had, that was the fear that I lived with. In my early 20s, just after I'd moved out of home, I struggled with the fear uh, like an overwhelming anxiety. I would wake up every morning with my heart beating out of my chest. And no particular reason, just I would wake up with this pervading sense of anxiety on me. And it, uh, it took me quoting six months worth of just speaking God's word. Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. It took me six months of quoting that back to God to undo that fear. And we all struggle with fears, don't we? Hey, it's, it's like some of the fears, they feel small, others feel big. Some feel like they're rational, some feel like they're irrational. Some are linked to seasons of our lives and some aren't. Some are just an, a general sense of anxiety. Some of them are healthy and some of them are unhealthy. Because here's the thing, church, not every fear that you and I have is unhealthy. 
case in point, a fear of fire. Would you agree with me that a fear of fire is a healthy fear? Well, because the fear of fire is the thing that's going to keep you and I from getting burnt. Healthy fear, would you agree? Fear of God, fear of the Lord is a healthy fear. Now, when we talk about the fear of God, we're not talking about being frightened of God. God would never want us to be frightened of him. That's not the kind of God that we serve. He's not a frightening kind of God, but he is an awe-inspiring God. So when we talk about fear of God, we're talking about reverence. We're talking about honor. We're talking about um, awe of God. We're talking about glory. We're talking about majesty. Fear of God, healthy fear. Are you with me? It goes to the point that there are some fears that are healthy and some that are unhealthy. And what I want to do today is just help us untangle the unhealthy fears. In other words, those fears that are there that have a disproportionate fear relative to the outcome. Those fears, you know them, I know them, where we play worst case scenario with ourselves, where we immediately worst case scenario the thing. We, we play it forward and the scenario is always bad. Are you with me? Unhealthy fears. And we live in a fear-saturated culture, don't we? So many fears. Fear of inadequacy. Fear of uncertainty. Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. Fear of change. This year's been a big one. Fear of losing control. Fear of missing out. Otherwise known as FOMO. We'll talk more about FOMO in just a minute. Fear of being judged, fear of something bad happening, fear of getting hurt, fear of failure, fear of the future, fear of illness, fear of growing old, fear of diminishment, fears related to our finances, are we going to have enough, fears like are we going to be okay, fears around our children, are our children going to be okay, fears around loneliness, Fears around what other people might think. Now there, I want to suggest to you that having the surname chicken is the best possible thing you could ever <laughs> encounter in your life. Because pretty early on, you learn to not give a rip about what anybody thinks. Fear of missing out, all the FOMOs. Give me a raise hand if you're a FOMOer. Yes, yes. What's weird, what's weird, in Edenvale, we did this a little bit earlier. What's weird is that some of the FOMO guys are at the back. I want to ask you the question, why are you at the back if you've got FOMO? Because the anointing flows from the front to the back. And so you are, in this moment, missing out. Did you know that there's a thing called the fear of long words? I have to read this to you. It's called hippopotomonstrosquidopaleophobia. The fear of long words. Did, did you know there's a fear called Keanu phobia? It is the fear of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Genuinely, you can go Google. There's a whole club of dudes that are fearful of Keanu Reeves for whatever reason. I have no idea. But no matter what the fear is, we live in a fear-saturated culture, don't we? And I want to say this to us today. The, the effect of the media on our fear is profound. How many of you know that the media does not write to give you news? The media writes in order to sell news. And we all know what news sells. Bad news. Can I politely suggest to you that if you're a news junkie, you're probably going to find your thinking is going to get progressively more junky. 
because they feed us bad news. And as we live in a fear-saturated culture and as the media fans the flames of our fear, we've got to be careful that we don't live with a pervading sense of fear that holds us back, that binds us up, that caps us, that smothers us, that limits our potential. I think to myself today, how sad it would be if people in our church, if myself, you, all of us, if, we, if you're watching online, how sad it would be if you allowed fear to dominate you for an extended period of time. There has to come a point in time, and I'm praying that for you and for me, today is that time. There has to come a point in time when you decide to deal decisively with your fears. You know, when in my early 20s, when I had that pervading sense of fear that covered me, there was a moment in time when I had to decide enough was enough. And I want to ask the question today to you, how long will you allow your potential to be inhibited because of your fears? I feel like today is the day that you need to start to learn how to live free from it because our lives are roots and shoots aren't they did you know that our lives are roots and shoots shoots are above the ground roots are below the ground shoots are everything that everybody sees shoots are what your life produces what my life produces shoots are the things uh, that that our life gives yield to in farming terms it's it's the leaf it's the vegetable above the ground the shoots or what's below the surface. The shoots are what cause. The shoots are what give rise to what's above the surface. The shoots are the cause of what's above the surface. And our lives are roots and shoots. And if today I simply tackled this topic of fear by giving you fear management techniques, I would simply be tackling the shoots. I wouldn't be tackling the roots. What I want to do and invite you into today is understanding and we're going to untangle the roots of our fear and today I want to suggest to you that there are two roots and really only two roots to every other fear that you and I might have. Every fear in your life and in my life can be explained by means of these two roots and as usual the answer to these roots, the identification of these roots is located because scripture's always got the answer to our lives, is located in scripture. First place we're going to go today is we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to talk about Adam, Eve, the serpent, and the apple, and I'm going to untangle the two roots for you that give rise to every other fear that we have. Are you tracking with me today? Genesis chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? First lie. Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, replied the serpent to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened and as soon as you eat it and you will be like God knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. And that right there, church, is the first and last time a man has succeeded in convincing a woman. <laughs> and all the ladies said, I was hoping for a bigger amen from you. Okay, all the men said, Thank you, thank you, man. So the woman was convinced the tree looked beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. 
Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And we've been swallowing everything that woman tell us ever since. <laughs> at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And, they sudden, and they, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God. And they hid among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, but I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Quick sidebar, interesting. Fear is the first emotion recorded by humankind ever. The first emotion that was recorded that mankind felt and that was recorded is fear. Isn't that interesting? And fear rears its ugly head twice in this passage. I'm going to untangle it for us this morning. The first place fear rears its head in this passage is the moment the serpent comes to Eve. Verse 1, he says, did God really say you can't have that tree? You can't touch that tree? Did God really say you can't eat that fruit? And of course, then in verse 6, he, he goes and he, and, he, and, he, and he puts the fruit in front of Check how nice it looks. The first fear... Eve experienced, it was the fear of missing out. Eve had a massive dose of FOMO going on. So Eve, fear, missing out, FOMO, got it? Drop down to verse 10, we then see Adam. Now we see Adam's fear come to the fore. Adam's fear is the fear of being exposed. We see Adam kind of cowering and he's kind of covering himself. He's hidden in the trees. He's got fig leaves sewn on his bits and he's kind of just like, yeah, yeah. Adam's fear is the fear of being exposed because of his sin. So those are the two fears. Eve's got a fear of missing out. She's got a dose of FOMO going on. Adam's got a dose of fear of being exposed going on. Now, there is a root that lies beneath each of these fears. With Eve's fear, as the serpent came to Eve and as he, as he tempted her and as he propositioned her, he very cleverly uses a lie. And the lie really is this. Did God say, is God enough? Has God given you enough? I want to suggest to you that the first root of every fear that you and I have is what we could call security. Where the devil asks us the question, and you know this in your mind, I know this in my mind, because he probably asks you this every single day of your life. Is God enough? Is God enough for you? Has God given you enough? Security. Have you got enough? Is your life going to have enough? Adam's fear, as he covers himself and as he's exposed, Adam's fear is somewhat different. Adam's fear is linked to the lie where the question now is not, is God enough? Have you got enough? The question that Adam gets confronted with now is, am I enough? And that, friends, is the question of identity. And so what we have is we have two roots going on here. We've got identity and we've got security. And the devil very cleverly comes and he first asks the question of security. Have you got enough? Is God enough? Has he given you enough? 
Will you be okay? Followed by the question of identity. Are you okay? Are you enough? Are you enough? The roots of every fear that you have and I have, you could test this out. Picture any fear that's running through your mind at the moment, I can say to you with certainty, you can trace it back to either a question of security. Is God enough? Has he given you enough? Is he enough for you? And identity, are you enough? All tracking with me? All being helped? Fast forward many thousands of years. We see Jesus arrives on the scene. Jesus arrives on the scene and Jesus begins to announce the kingdom of God. As he begins to announce the kingdom of God, he begins to teach men and women about how to recover their way back to the garden pre the apple or the fruit. Jesus begins to teach men and women how to restore what was stolen from us. He begins to announce the kingdom of God. As he begins to announce the kingdom of God, Jesus tackles these two fears head on. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. Jesus doesn't mess around. Jesus goes straight to it and he begins to teach the people that are listening to him about fear of the future, about security, about fear, about how to not be anxious, about how not to worry, about how not to be concerned, about all the things that you and I wonder about all the time. Jesus begins to teach them about how to untangle their fear. And in a teaching masterclass, in a stroke of genius, not surprising because he is God incarnate, isn't he? Jesus gets to the two root issues immediately. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus begins to untangle the two roots that you and I have just learned about. And he begins to tackle it in Luke chapter 12. Let's go there and we'll read a few verses together. Verses six and seven. He says, what's the price of two sparrows? It's two copper coins. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. See the wording, don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Jesus here, I want you to notice with me, Jesus tackles the issue of identity. He says, sparrows, are they not valuable? They are. Yet how much more valuable are you? How much more is your identity more important than sparrows? And if God knows the very hairs on their head, if he knows the price of sparrows, how much more does he know and care about you? And so Jesus begins to unravel the roots of fears and he starts with identity. Notice that when the devil gave the lion the first garden, the devil started with the question of security. Is God enough? Has he given you enough? And then moved on to give Adam a crisis of identity. Are you enough? Notice as Jesus remedies the situation, notice as Jesus addresses the roots, Jesus starts with identity because he knows that if he can convince you and I of our identity, then the question of security becomes obvious. Because if God says to you, you're more valuable than a sparrow, does it not then follow that he'll provide all you need? And so Jesus starts by saying, identity, sparrow, no problem. You, you are not a sparrow. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. 
You are the apple of his eye. You are the thing that he created last. He practiced on all the birds of the air and the beasts of the field until he got to you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, when God made me, he got perfect. And if you are single and ready to mingle, can have a look around, see who you think would be perfect. And we are gonna provide a little welcome sign at the deck. Uh, If you just move towards that, I feel sure that we could marry off five or six of you today. (laughs) So God starts with identity. Jesus starts with identity. Sparrows, he talks about human beings. You see the difference? If God cares for sparrows, does he not care for you? And then he moves to security. Watch this, Luke chapter 12, just a few verses down, verse 28 onwards. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat or to drink. Don't worry about these things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. Do you notice there Jesus now addresses the issue of security? Is God enough? Has he given you enough? He gives a resounding yes. Fast forward now another 2,000 years to a story I heard of a man who was a mining billionaire, made so much money, lives in South Africa, made so much money in out of mining, platinum mining, gold mining. The man was a mining magnate, a billionaire. This guy had two sons, grew up in Joburg, their whole lives lived in Santon, right? You know, that, you know, both of them pretty well to do, boys. The one guy comes to his dad and he says, dad, you know what? You, you're still young, you're in your mid-50s. I don't know if I'm ever gonna see the wealth that, that you've generated. I would like two billion for myself now. I wanna go and experience life. I've, I've only ever lived in Joburg. I wanna experience my life. Guess what, this guy takes his two billion. The father's gracious to him, gives it to him. He takes it and he heads off to Monaco and Monte Carlo and he begins to spend the money on wine, woman, and song. Buys himself a brand new Ferrari because you aren't anybody in Monte Carlo unless you've parked in front of the casino in Monaco. Parks his Ferrari in front there, buys himself the most expensive, outrageous gifts, hires prostitutes, the most expensive champagne, spends nights in the casino, gambles the fortune away. And then the 2008 financial crisis hit. Monaco began to contract, people began to spend less. He was out of money. The city was out of money. Guess what happens? One day he's destitute. He's scratching through a dustbin and in a moment of clarity, as he's digging through a dustbin far away from his home, he realizes to himself, even the miners in my dad's mining business, even the guys who are underground for 12 hours a day in pitch darkness, Even those guys are eating better than what I am. He decides he's going to buy a one-way ticket home and he comes back to Joburg. His dad gets wind of the fact that he's on his way home and he goes to Oatembo and he makes one of these big welcome home signs and he waits for the people to disembark from the flight that his son is on. And the son seems to take forever to come. The man watches person after person coming through the arrivals hall 
still no sign of his son. He's just about to give up hope and just about to turn and to walk away with his sign in his hand. When out of the corner of his eye, he sees one last straggler get off the plane, come through into the arrivals hall and it's his son. His son has aged about 10 years in two years. He's got his head down, he's defeated, he's destitute, he's down. The father sees his son. You know, there's that section in Noah Tembo where you're supposed to stand behind if you're a spectator waiting for somebody to come in. The father doesn't care. He just jumps over and he goes into the international arrivals section and right at the sliding doors where the passengers come through, he embraces his son and he hugs his son and he pulls him towards him and gives him the biggest kiss and he begins to tell him how much he loves him. That night, they, they have the biggest bash. The dad takes him back to his house, his villa, and right at the top of Santon. There's the who's who of Joburg society. The next day, he takes his, house, his son house shopping, buys him a penthouse at the top of the Michelangelo Towers, decks him out with the finest suits and the most beautiful Italian leather shoes. son cannot believe it cannot believe how recklessly his love his dad loves him the older son is freaked out that's a story for another day of course if you want to read the the original version of the story you can go to Luke chapter 15 because it is, of course, the story of the prodigal son. Now, what's the point? Here's the point. Don't miss it today. Here's the point. There was one thing and one thing only that conquered the fear that that son must have had to come back home. And it's, it's located in his language. He says, even the servants in my father's house eat better than I do. I will go back to him. And he prepares a little speech and he says, Father, I've blown it. But do you notice what it was that brought the son home? It was his knowledge, as his identity as the son. He even offers to give up that identity but don't miss it. The son knows because of his identity, because of who he was, because of his identity, his security would be assured. Because of his identity as a son, because he knew his father loved him, he knew his security was in the bag. Church, can I suggest that you and I are no different? What was it that conquered the son's fear? Listen, blowing two billion bucks. How many of you know that your father would be angry? What was it that conquered the fear? It was identity, which then assured him of his security. He knew his father's love, reckless love, never-ending love, inexplicable love, crazy love, illogical love, some might say stupid love. We hope you have been blessed and helped by this message. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.thrivechurch.co.za.